Imagine loving your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is another interview in my series called Getting Real with Women in the Middle. The Getting Real interviews introduce you to amazing women. They've done something scary or big in their lives, something that they would never have predicted that they would do, and now they're on the other side of it. They share their insights into what kind of thinking helped them move forward and make the big change. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Elaine Hoffman to the podcast. Elaine is someone who left a full-time institutional work environment to finally pursue an art career for herself. She lives in Toronto, and as an artist, she creates colorful and emotional paintings that bring positive energy to homes and office spaces. I know you will enjoy this interview. Hi, Elaine. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Good morning, Susie. I'm very pleased to be here. So one of the reasons I was so excited to interview you is because your story resonates so much with so many of my clients. So many of my clients are interested in pursuing art in some way or another. Was this something you were always interested um, when you were young, or is this something that became more important to you when you're when you were older? No, it's something that I've been interested in since I was a little girl, and it was always encouraged. It's part of sort of how I see the world, how I see life, so it fit in very well with just who I am. Love that. So tell me a little bit about what was going on in your 40s. What was happening back then? Well, it was quite conservative and traditional, I would say. Uh, I was a mom with three young children. I lived in the suburbs of Toronto. I was doing the mom-wife thing, and very happily. But it seemed like that was for that time. I kind of knew in my head that what had happened before and what had happened after was all part of the journey, but it wasn't going to be linear. There Hmm. weren't going to be changes. Wow. How did you know that? I think it was intuitive. Um, I think that women take on so many different roles in their lives and you're different parts of that role at different times. And this was my time to concentrate on being a wife and mother. Nice. And did you struggle with that at all? I think everybody struggles with it at some point because there are other little voices in our heads telling us, gee, maybe you should be trying this. Maybe you should be doing that. It's too bad. You don't have time for whatever. Um, But it's a good conversation because I think it moves you forward. Exactly. Moving forward is so important, but that's not what everybody does. A lot of people kind of get stuck in what I love to call a midlife funk. And a funk is usually just when you're off and just start not to be content anymore. Did that happen to you? Yes, I would say, as I mentioned, there were always little voices going on. 
Um, Virginia Woolf wrote the very famous book, A Room of One's Own. And I think that's very true with women who have a lot of obligations to other people in their lives, to older parents, to other siblings, to their children, their spouses. But there is something about having your own time, your own space, and your own interests, which is very invigorating if you allow it to be and don't see it as an oppression or as you know, something that you're always pushing aside. Exactly. So as an artist, I know it's very, uh, I would say almost impossible to take the art out of the person. So there you were, somebody who have all, you've always been interested in art. And I would imagine when you were younger and really honing that craft, you probably spent a lot of time in a studio. And then you switched into mom mode, like so many women in the middle do. And when did it become obvious to you that there were more uh, than those little thoughts, those little ideas popping into your head that you might have to make a change or do something about it, that art needed to become alive again in you? Well, the work that I did, I was an art educator and an art administrator, so I was always surrounded by art. So I could see the importance of it in people's lives. And I really just felt at a certain point that it was my turn. I think that's a good way of putting it. You know, my things lined up for me that I was able to have a space, have the time, have a little bit more of me time. And I pushed it into that direction. How did you push it into that direction? Not everybody can do that. Well, you know, there's 24 hours in a day and we all decide how we're going to divide that up. And once I had the space, I had this little argument in my head going on, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And then finally I got fed up and said, either try it or stop having the discussion in your head. So I started to sign up for art classes and that got me back in sort of that mode of thinking about art. Oh, I love that. And how, if you could put a timeline on it, how long do you think you were like kind of thinking about getting it back into it between that, those kind of thoughts and the time that you said, you know what, this baby step is going to be taking the art classes. I'm going to start there. What was that like? For me, I was all in a funk for five years. It went on forever for me. Yeah, I would say five years is a reasonable time for me as well. And as I mentioned, it did line up with things in my life. My daughter had moved out, so we were empty nesters, and her room became my studio space. And I started playing around there with art materials, didn't really know what direction I wanted to do, but really realized that I had to hone my skills again because it had been a while. So that's when I got the idea of taking classes and I just went about it really practically. I started sort of where you would start with an art education, drawing classes, and then moved into painting, pastels. I tried a number of materials. And every time I tried something, it pushed me further into the direction that I'm doing now. But it was, it was a process, for sure. What was it like to take that first class, walking into the studio again, saying hello to a teacher and diving in? What was that like? It was great because I was so excited, but yes, I was also a little unsure of myself because I hadn't done it for so many years. You forget sort of that you were skilled at one time. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but uh, it's kind of like riding a bike. I have to say it does come back to you. So for me, it was very exciting. It was the first step and I realized that at the time. So I was pretty proud of myself. 
Oh my God. It is so good to feel proud, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Pride it, is something that's energizing. I, it's energizing and it's just, you know, uh, I interviewed my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, Brooke Castillo, a couple of weeks ago. And she talked about that, that when we are women in the middle, when we're a little older and wiser, that there are fewer people that express pride for us anymore. And it really has to come from yourself. And it's so available. It's a feeling created by a thought. So what do you think the thought was that created that for you? I think that really it was seeing that the ability and the interest was still there and knowing that it was within my grasp, it was just a matter of me pursuing it. And the decisions really were mine to make, how far I wanted to take it. So at that point, I didn't know if it was going to be a hobby or a professional career move. I just really wanted to get back into um, making art and enjoying the process of making art. I love that you gave yourself time to really consider being present. Because that's another thing that I hear from so many clients is that the skill development phase is rarely appreciated. It's like, I got to get to the end. I got to be uh, amazing. I have to figure this whole thing out rather than just allowing yourself to be present and to embrace and enjoy the process of, of building those skills again and just being there and smelling the studio and and using the, um, the paint and just being with other artists who are just completely immersed in thinking about art. I mean, that in and of itself, when you find your people, your tribe, your community, it can change everything. Well, truly looking back on it, I'm even surprised at myself that I had that much patience because the scenario that you described is more the way I would have thought I would have reacted. I have to be good at this like by tomorrow. But looking back, it was, it was a process and I was quite patient with myself. And every step that I took was very exciting within itself. And it moved me forward at the same time. But you're right. I was within that moment when I was doing it. Yeah, that is something. And that is something that, like I said, many people struggle with. So how old were you when you took that baby step and went into your first studio again? Mm, in my early 50s. So cl that's classic, you know, turning 50 is very jarring for many. Did you associate turning 50 with any kind of urgency to get going on this stuff again? I probably did, but didn't sort of phrase it that way. To me, it was, as I mentioned, more a matter of circumstances lining up that I was able to do it. And it was either take advantage of it or stop having the argument in your head and do something else. But I really felt that it was a transition time in my life, and I was excited about it. I love that. Now, you know, several times you mentioned that uh, the opportunity just kind of became, uh, situationally, things became easier for it. And you say it as though it's just factual that the situation was better, so it was my time. But really, you still had to make a decision. You had to recognize that the situation now opened up for you and that to transition to finally put yourself first again after so much time and to focus on your passion again after so much time was something that you could grab. You know, uh, if that takes, you, you just can't underestimate your ability to have grabbed onto that at that time. I kind of see it as sort of a dancer waiting in the wings. 
I kind of knew that the stage was there and the performance was going on. And I just had to wait till the cue for me to kind of <laughs> leap onto the stage and, and do my pirouette or whatever. And, and it was the time. Oh, I love, I love that. I love it. So when, um, when you were checking out art again and becoming involved again, you had a full-time job, right? At an yes. art gallery. So yes. um, how long, at some point you, you started to think about, oh boy, I might be able to make this my, my next uh, career, my, my next thing to focus on professionally. How long did you start to um, think about that? How long did it take for you to start to think about that? And how long did you sit with those ideas ruminating in your head? Well, I, I would say that the last part of that process was about a year when I actually thought about the logistics of it, when I actually started seriously saving money from my paycheck so that when I wasn't working full-time with a paycheck, I would have something to sort of get me through the lean times. So yeah, I would say it was about a year. Wow. And do you remember what it was like when that thought popped into your head? Like, hey, I might be able to do this full-time. It was like, hurrah! (laughs) (laughs) So you weren't afraid of it when it popped in? Well, yes, I think, yes, you have to be. I mean, you know you're going to sort of take a step off of something into the unknown. So, yes, there is that certain thing. But for me, it was so exciting. And I knew that if I couldn't do it on my own, that I would find people to help me. And you were one of them. Somebody suggested that I contact you. And that was a big step for me. And that was so helpful. So, I kind of had a lot of things lined up that I knew would work. I just had to put the whole thing into gear. Oh, I love that. You know, one of the things that I've really recognized, and first of all, thank you so much for reaching out because I learned so much from you too. Um, But one of the things that I have really learned and you have learned it too is the importance of community and your ability to build the community that you need. You know, you can get your people, you can... Make sure that you know the people that you need. You can find your mentors. You can find your help and build that community. And it was something that I never really had professionally the way I do now. I worked in the public sector for 27 years and 19 years in my last position. And I never had the kind of community. There were lots of amazing people and and very bright people and very motivated people. But it wasn't the same as what I have now. Like everybody in my community, uh, we're on the same page. It's such a beautiful thing. And it just really lifts you up and envelops you in terms of um, support. So when you started to find your people and build this new community, I would imagine that your new community was also pretty different than your workaday community, even though it was still in the art world. Very different. Yes. I think that actually was one of the biggest challenges because as an artist, it's a very solitary activity generally. And uh, from a business end part of it also, it's not something that a lot of artists think about. So yes, um, I was able to be part of an entrepreneur program specifically for artists And that also gave me a lot of confidence that my, I had a lot of sort of fears about the business end of things. And it showed me that that again was a a learnable skill. 
It wasn't something that, you know, you had to be born with this, you know, fabulous business brain. Learnable skills are open to most people. And that's something that I think our inner voice doesn't always tell us as well. Yeah, that's so true. And one of the things, uh, I had one of those thoughts that didn't help me at the beginning about technology. I was always, I didn't even realize that I really did believe that I sucked at technology, kind of like I had genetically been predisposed to just sucking at technology. <laughs> and I, it took me a while to realize I didn't need to learn how to program computers to just you know, run a webinar and, and figure out a podcast and figure out the, the basics that I needed. I could hire people and I could learn things. And thinking that I could learn new things just changed it all for me. Did you have those same kind of feelings about technology? Big time. Um, that was something that you and I discussed at quite a bit of um, detail because I think I had the same negative thoughts that you did. And you kept saying to me, well, really, you're an intelligent woman. If you can learn how to do X, you can learn how to do Y. And it's true. You don't have to become an expert. You just have to learn what you need to know. And if you don't, you can find somebody who can help you with it or you can hire somebody. I think that is a big stumbling block for a lot of people, male and female of all ages. But when you actually dive down into that, it's not something that's insurmountable at all. It's so easy to believe our limiting beliefs. You know, they're, it's just easier not to grow. It's easier to stay stuck and whine and complain. And I, one of the things that you did that was so beautiful is once we nailed some of those thoughts down and you really started to question them, I challenged you to think about a, that thought that was going to be very useful for you in a beautiful way and you painted it. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, I'm a very visual person, always have been, and uh, I love to surround myself whenever is possible with beauty. So to take an idea and to make it into sort of a visual image was, came very naturally for me. So when you said, how do you want to approach this? To me, that sort of came naturally. And I've always done that. So yeah, it was good. It was good. It worked out well. So you beautified that thought and it became something that you could just look at as a visual cue to help you remember that that thought was optional for you and that you could choose to think it. Yes, it was definitely a visual cue. And there's lots of visual cues around me and I'm very open to them. So that was a very good strategy for me. Oh, I'm so glad it worked out. Um, but think back to when you had decided, you decided, okay, I'm going to leave. And you made the decision and you had to say goodbye to your, uh, you know, your employer and your reliable work in the beautiful art gallery. You'd been there for over, was it 25 years, 20 years? No, it was going on 18. 18 years. So what was that like to now have that deadline, that date and get ready to go? Well, people kept saying to me, I hear you're retiring. I'm here. I hear you're retiring. And I kept rephrasing that. I said, no, I'm not retiring. I'm just going to be doing something else. And I'm going to be doing it for myself. So that was a big thing to get into my head. People just assumed that I was going to kind of sit back and take it easy. But that was never in my plan. Not at this well, stage anyway. Oh my gosh. That's, I'm so glad you brought that up because there is such ageism alive and well. You know, um, people just assume that when you're, how old were you when you decided to leave? 62. So they just said, oh, 62, early retirement. Right. 
That's it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. many of my clients are thinking about what they can do kind of as pre-retirement or they're looking for something that's more flexible and potentially part-time to take them into retirement and art and writing and coaching and all kinds of entrepreneurial pursuits often come up for my clients when they start to think about that. So um, I love that, uh, that, that you made this plan to go on. Now, when you were correcting people, um, what was their response? They were so excited for me. Honestly, most of the people that I worked with, I'm sure they wish they could do it as well. Oh, are there a lot of artists working at art museums? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's yes. so great. So then when you um, started to do the full-time art work at home, what was that like or in your studio? Well, again, I was not as confident as I am now. So I made sure that I was regularly taking classes, but I was able to, by this time, I was able to narrow it down to one particular teacher, one particular style, and I kept doing that on a yearly basis to keep myself fresh and, and energized. So it was all good. It was really great. I mean, you know, you need a lot of discipline for anything like anything that you pursue, you do need discipline because That's if you true. don't stay at it, it's very easy to kind of take the easy, easy road and make excuses. Um, but the art part itself is so exciting and fun for me that it was a joy. Oh, that's so amazing. And what was the first big professional goal that you set that helped drive you forward? I booked a show. I booked an exhibition space. Now, again, I had the um, experience of working in the field, so I knew what was involved in that. So it wasn't quite as daunting as it would be for, for another person. But still, as an artist, when you put your art on the wall, you're putting yourself out there. And, you know, mine was untried and whatever. I didn't have people writing up about me in magazines that I could sort of reflect back what I should do and what I shouldn't do. So that was huge. But I had so much support and I had so much joy in doing it that it was just the first one in a series. I've had many since then. And that was the first, taking a first step. Amazing. And you had to put money down to reserve the space. Everything. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And okay. how many I had to get things framed. Uh -huh. I had to do my own marketing. But I think that sort of there's this general idea in the business community that you start with your tribe. So I started with family and friends, and I was lucky that I had that support around me. And then I broadened my audience from there. But, you know, that's in itself. There's a lot of skills that you have to learn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started training to become a coach, I thought, oh, that, I just have to be a coach and then everything's going to be great. And yeah, you can become a great coach, but the marketing, Surprise! Being oh my God, that's where, that's where there's like a lot more work. So how many pieces did you need painted and framed for that first show? I, if I remember back correctly, I think I had 42. Wow. Yeah. And, and you I made money on the first show? I did. I Amazing. think I sold 13 pieces. They're like a crazy number. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Those red dots, I was so excited. I called it my trophy wall because <laughs> I would take the, the label off of the piece and put it on a wall with the red dot beside it. And that was my trophy wall. And 
I was very, very grateful for even people coming to look at my art. Not, I didn't really, I mean, I was thrilled that they bought it, but I was just so happy that people were engaging with me about it and wanted to talk to me about it. It was great. It, it's, it has been great. And that is just so amazing. One of the things that's so fun about coaching is that, um, you know, I, Elaine and I met from a referral. And it's a beautiful thing when you get a referral because somebody, it, it, it feels like a hug when you get a referral because they know you can help. They're introducing you to somebody that they love to. And it's just, it's so nice. So we worked together, but it was all by phone. I had never met her. And even though Elaine is in Toronto, we didn't know each other. And so for me, it was so rewarding to finally be able to go to one of Elaine's shows and see, uh, I was just able to see you in your element. And it was like running into an old friend. And oh my gosh, I was so proud of you. And your work is just so beautiful. So how would you describe you. your work to an alien? An alien? Well, does the alien have sight? Yes, the alien has sight. Okay. They don't know what's going on. Okay. Well, the human body expresses themselves in many ways. But one of the ways, and what I love to do, is through the gesture. So when you look at my paintings, you can actually see where my body, my arm, my hand has been. So that's one part of it. There's a lot of energy and there's a lot of movement in the images. I don't paint from the real world. I do what we call non-objective painting. So it's really based on feelings and emotions rather than recognizable objects. So the other part of what I do is color. I respond very strongly to color, and I think a lot of people psychologically are put in a certain space by color, and that's something that I love to manipulate. So to an alien, I would say my work expresses sort of things that people feel either in a small way, a subtle way, or in a very big, dramatic, romantic, emotional way. So there's that range. Oh, that's a great explanation. So what would you say your big takeaway lessons were now that you're on the other side of facing something scary, yet something that you were so passionate about, you took a big leap, you pulled your big girl panties on and you went for it. What are some of the lessons uh, that you learned that you could share with some of our listeners so it might, you know, motivate them to, to do the same sort of thing? Well, I don't know if at the beginning I thought that it was going to be as big as it ended up being. I think you have to start with small, manageable steps. And my first step was, I'm going to get myself back into the art world and learn and enjoy and be part of it and see where that goes. So I did it in stages. And I think that was a good way to do it. Because as we said, it gave me a little bit more patience than if I would have just said, oh, I'm going to go out and start being, you know, an artist who, you know, has exhibitions. That would have been huge. So that was one thing. I think that you have to make the commitment in your own mind that it's something that's important to you. Because if it's not, that's fine. But find something else that's important to you. I don't think that you can do it if you're not decided that that's something that you're passionate about or that makes you content or makes you feel whatever, whatever. But I think that's important as well. And then to try and be kind to yourself and have some patience, 
step back and sort of look at the process in the big picture and see how you're doing and say, you know, that's great. I did whatever I said I was going to do on to step number two. So I think that uh, you get a little bit more wise as you get older. And I think that's an important part of the process to see the big picture. I think that's amazing advice. And it just makes so much sense. Like, could you even imagine your life now without the feelings you get from the work you're producing? No, not really. Not really. It's very much a part of me. And yes, yeah, it gives me a lot of um, satisfaction and contentment. Even if I don't do it how I think I should be doing it, as I said, in the big picture, I know I'll get back to it. And as long as you sort of keep that line open, I think you're going to end up in a really good space. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that how content you are is contagious. Like, I can really just feel it. And it's just so wonderful to know that you, you took a risk and you did it. And you're so much happier on the other side, which is really why I wanted to interview you. And it's, some, it's really one of the main points of the Women in the Middle podcast to just, you know, as women in the middle, we have sacrificed a lot, we've given a lot, and we love our lives, but there's ways to be even happier. And it's impossible to dream big when you really don't even know sometimes where your life can take you. You just don't even know. And I love that one of your lessons really focused on that, that it's more important to just start, to just clarify what you want and take a baby step and be in the moment and then take it from there. So Elaine, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, Where can people find your art? Well, my website is Elaine Hoffman Art. I'm also on Instagram as Elaine Hoffman Art. And I have a Facebook page, Elaine Hoffman Art. So if you're, curious, if you're curious about what they actually look like, because it's one thing to talk about art, another thing to see it, I would say check one of those sources. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm going to include all of Elaine's contacts in the show notes so you can click and see and enjoy. Elaine, thank you so much. You're an amazing woman in the middle, and I really, really appreciate your story. Thank you. Thanks, Susie. That was a lot of fun. That's it for this episode. So many of my clients dream about pursuing the arts in some way, and I was so excited to introduce you to someone who finally allowed herself to focus on her art and her dreams. Gives you a lot to think about, right? Deciding to no longer postpone something that makes you feel fulfilled, it's admirable. So if you like what you've heard, just head over to the Women in the Middle podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. Check out the show notes with more information and links at www.susierosenstein.com. While you're on my website, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you grab your copy of my free ebook, 10 Simple Ways to Bust Out of Your Midlife Funk. Just go to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash midlife funk. This will totally help you get going. I hate the idea of any of you guys sitting there being stuck in a funk. Let's do this, ladies, one beautifully creative opportunity at a time. Thanks so much for listening.